0: Hello friends and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter.
1: Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it now to Psalm 75. Psalm 75 is the third psalm in the third book of Psalms. Eleven of the 17 psalms in book three are ascribed to Asaph, who is one of David's choir masters, a descendant of Gershon, the son of Levi. Derek Kidner says, hopefully here, In the headings, his name evidently stands for his choir in at least some instances, since such laments as... 74 and 79, tell of disasters witnessed by no contemporary of David, quote. So these Psalms were written by Asaph himself, or in some cases, produced by the choir that he established. Psalm 75 may have been put here in the collection because it matches well thematically with Psalm 74. In Psalm 74, the people of God were facing some kind of calamity Whereas here in Psalm 75, the people are looking back upon a great work of divine deliverance. And of course, that's very helpful. We need songs for the day of trouble, songs that help us cry out to God, and songs that help us express our fears, anxieties, and concerns. And then we need songs for the day of deliverance, songs that help us express gratitude and joy and deepened faith and confidence in God's love and power. Structurally, this psalm is essentially a Thanksgiving sandwich. It begins with corporate Thanksgiving and it ends with personal Thanksgiving. And in between, we have a prophetic oracle and a reflection on that oracle by the psalmist. Thus, there are four sections to this psalm and four voices. In the opening Thanksgiving, the verbs are all plural. We give thanks, we recount. The voice there is the voice of the congregation. In the second section, we hear the voice of God. I will judge with equity. I keep steady the pillars of the earth. In the third section, the prophet reflects upon the oracle in his own voice. And then in the final section of the psalm, we hear the voice of the king. I will declare. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob forever. So there is a sense in which this psalm is not just a song, it is also a drama that draws in and includes the whole community. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning with the ascription and moving on to verse 1. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Now, I hope you caught that. The people feel God's presence as they recount his wondrous deeds and give thanks to his glorious name. Willem van Gemeren says marvelously here, in the remembrance and retelling of the history of salvation lies the comforting affirmation of God's closeness to his people, closed quote. If you don't feel the presence of God, maybe the problem isn't with God. Maybe the problem is with you. Try being more grateful. Try meditating upon who God is and all that he has done to secure our salvation. Do that and check again. It may be that all of a sudden the Lord is near. That's how it happens in this psalm. The people are thanking God and praising God and remembering all his works and sensing his nearness and presence. And then all of a sudden, they are also hearing his voice. This is what he says. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, Do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. That phrase, at the set time, is very important. It reminds us that while it may feel like justice is delayed, and while it may feel as though God has forgotten, that is only because, as St. Augustine said, there is no human analogy for the divine sense of time. The Apostle Peter spoke about this in his second epistle. He said, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Close quote. As it was in the past, Peter says, so will it be in the future. God sets a day, and then he lets history run, and he watches on. To those of us in the run, it may seem as if the wicked are getting away with murder. It may seem as if righteousness goes unrewarded. But be patient. The Lord has set a timer, and when it expires and when the day comes, he will judge the world with equity. You will know when that happens because everything around you will begin to shake. That's what God says in verse 3. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I know how to shake the world without causing the universe to collapse into the dust. I have a steady hand, God says. I know how to wound in order to heal. I know how to scrape the board clean without destroying those I have sworn to preserve. You can trust that God knows how to do the work of judgment in such a way that it doesn't obliterate the work of salvation. God knows how to do this. He is awesome in judgment and salvation. He knows how to cast down the proud and how to lift up the humble. Verses 4 to 5, of course, have many points of similarity with the Song of Hannah in the Old Testament and the Magnificat in the New Testament. Mary understood the birth of Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of this theme. When she was carrying Jesus in her womb, She sang, for he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary understood the coming of Jesus as guaranteeing the ultimate downfall of the proud and the eventual and ultimate exaltation of the humble. Thanks be to God. And now in verses 6 to 8, the prophet begins to reflect upon this magnificent oracle. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness, comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup of foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. The psalmist rebukes the practical atheist. He says, in essence, look where you will. Consider this empire or that, this factor or that. You can search the whole world from east to west and from top to bottom, and you will find no other arbiter than Almighty God. All earthly powers are secondary and derivative a fact we often overlook in peaceful times. W.S. Plumer says marvelously here, The world is full of practical atheism. Few men really believe that Jehovah governs this world, that everything happens by his ordering, and that all causes, agents, and means are nothing without him. Forgetfulness of God is as common as it is dreadful, closed quote. Plumer said that about the world in the 19th century, but I think today it could be said with a fair degree of accuracy about the church. It has been horrifying to see so many evangelicals in this culture working so feverishly to insulate God from any suggestion that he might in some way be responsible for the upheaval caused by COVID-19. God has been set aside as a cause, as a factor even, by so many people. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. It is God who shakes the world and holds its pillars, lest the entire universe crumble to the dust. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Many have forgotten that in our day, but the king of Israel had learned that lesson very well. He says in verse 9, But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. The king here aligns himself with the sovereign purposes of God. If God opposes the proud, then so will I, he says. If God intends to exalt the righteous, then let that begin, even now, through my administration. That is the commended response for all believing magistrates. For the regular believer, this psalm challenges us to calm ourselves during troubled times by remembering the justice and sovereignty of God. J. Alec Montier says here, at the center of our trouble, when hostile forces are on top, we are to tell ourselves not how horrible life is, how unfairly I have been treated, how insupportable my sorrow is, but how kingly, saving, powerful, how provident, how totally in charge God is, how fully in command of history, how secure is his world, how subservient to him are earth's arrogant powers. These are the bread and butter truths of scriptural revelation. Closed quote. And thanks be to God. The RMM Plan has us reading two psalms today, so keep your Bible open, if you have it in front of you, to Psalm 76. This is a psalm about the God who fights for his people. Some scholars divide it into four sections, but I think for our purposes, the simpler analysis of Derek Kidner will suffice. He says there is a strong simplicity in the pattern of this psalm, which first looks back to a great deliverance in verses 1 to 6. And then on to a greater judgment in verses 7 to 12. The former is local and defensive, with Zion, God's earthly base and residence, under concerted attack. The latter half is cosmic, with heaven as God's seat, the world his kingdom, and all who suffer injustice his concern, closed quote. I think that is well and usefully said. God has done great things for his people, and God will do great things in the future, things that will benefit the poor and the lowly, and things that will humble the arrogant and defiant. Praise the Lord. Hear now the word of the Lord. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. While we aren't told specifically which great local victory gave rise to this psalm of praise, many commentators identify it as the spectacular victory over Sennacherib's army as described in Isaiah thirty seven verses thirty six to thirty eight. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adremelech and Sherazer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. Close quote. The sudden collapse of the Assyrian army outside the gates of Jerusalem has baffled historians for generations. All sorts of explanations have been offered as to how exactly the largest land army ever assembled up to that point in the ancient world simply disintegrated. Was it a sanitation issue, some disease like cholera run amok? Was it a plague caused by mice or rats in the camp? Whatever immediate cause, the Israelites understood that it was God. Stanley Jackie says here, If they were rats, carriers of bubonic plague, then one can see the reason why the warriors, despoiled, slept in death, and why the hands of the soldiers became powerless. In the light of faith, for which nothing happens by accident, the outcome is readily ascribed to God. Indeed, it is better to invoke God who by definition is the ultimate and all-pervading cause, than to write otherwise interesting books on history under the title chance or the like. The astronomical improbability of events described in such stories can hardly be evaluated mathematically. Quote. When the Jews woke up that morning and saw their enemies lying dead on the field, They didn't write papers about rats or enact policies with respect to sanitation. They gave thanks to Almighty God. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. Plague is a thing. Sanitation is a thing, verse 7. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you utter judgment. The earth feared and was still, when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, the remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord, your God, and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is to be feared by the kings of the earth." Verse 10, of course, is fascinating. What does it mean that the wrath of man shall praise you? Tim Keller says here, Not only will all efforts to rebel or defeat God in the end only fulfill God's plan, but they will only make the ultimate joy and glory of the renewed world and God's people greater. That will be the ultimate defeat of evil. The greatest example is the death of Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Acts 2.23 This does indeed lead us to fear him, to wonder at his greatness, and to submit to his lordship. The people in Jerusalem in the 7th century BC came to understand that if God is for us, then who can stand against us? God is the only one we should fear. He is the ultimate and all-pervading cause, and he makes even the wrath of men to praise him. So why oppose him? Why not join him? Why not lay down your arms and worship him?
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.